Welcome, everyone, to episode 110 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode of the podcast, we're dipping our toes into the 19th century England to see if we can attract some sharks with the Sherlock Holmes spinoff, Enola Holmes. But before we get to that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Scott. Um, you know, I, normally this is when I mention like sports teams and stuff, um, and I just got to say I'm very scared right now because everyone won this weekend everyone won um and that makes me very worried for what is about to happen over this next week uh, like the indians are going to be playing in the playoffs starting on tuesday um you know tennessee has another game on saturday panthers i'm mean, not that they're going to be any good anyway but they did win today they did win um everton have a couple games that they should probably win um i have a feeling nothing's going to go right because that's just how the theory of balance works but um, it was nice to enjoy what winning feels like for once for a weekend with, you know, Tennessee, Panthers, Everton, Indians, all getting big wins. Um, and so that was that was exciting, except like, you know, like I said, I can't even like enjoy fully enjoy wins anymore because I just feel like something very dark and disturbing is probably around the corner. But that's so that's how I'm doing <laughs> Yeah, I, I think rather than being concerned about what dark futures the the team your your sports teams might hold after a weekend of wins, it's probably just something terrible is going to happen in like the actual world uh, this week as as the price you have to pay. So, well, I mean that's just every week though. Like that, that wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't be any, make anything different. Like something Thanks. terrible happens every week. Too. Start knocking on wood because you're really asking for it right now. <laughs> right on the, now. It, the presidential debate is coming up on Tuesday. Like that's yeah. ripe breeding ground for something terrible to happen. <laughs> Uh, but like I already mentioned, Scott, this week's review is the Netflix adaptation of a Sherlock Holmes spinoff novel focusing on the younger sister of the famous detective Enola Holmes, directed by Harry Bradbeer, best known for directing episodes of Fleabag, Killing Eve, and Rami, and starring Millie Bobby Brown, uh, better known, of course, for playing Eleven slash Jane in Stranger Things in the titular role of Enola. Enola Holmes is a coming-of-age mystery film that follows the teenage sister of an already famous Sherlock Holmes. Enola is free-spirited and strong-willed with the intellect and cleverness of Sherlock and has developed a very close relationship with her mother, Eudoria, played by Helena Bottom Carter. But when Eudoria disappears on Enola's 16th birthday, her life is upended and her first meeting with her brothers, Sherlock and Mycroft, Mycroft, of course, played by Sam Claflin, does not go as she has planned as Mycroft attempts to send her off to a finishing school to correct her defiance of the time's societal norms for women. Rather than conform, however, Enola instead flees the Holmes estate, hot on her mother's trail, after discovering a clue to help explain her disappearance. While making her trek to London, Enola comes across the 17-year-old Lord Tewksbury, a runaway Marquess, and, the fates, and their fates become intertwined. The rest of the film follows Enola as she searches for her mother in London, while inescapably continuing to help Tewksbury elude his family and more sinister forces who seek to make sure he is never found. Scott, did you find Enola Holmes to be a refreshing, youthful, bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed take on the tried and tested Sherlock Holmes formula, or did it dip its feet in the water of a genre only to find the sharks were too much for it to handle? 
Yeah, this movie was completely, utterly, comprehensively okay. Um, that that is my review of this film. I, there there are a few good things in it. There are some not so good things in it, but for the most part, it was just like spectacular, spectacularly mediocre. Um, which I think is kind of what Netflix has made their brand off of this year with a lot of the Netflix films that we've uh, talked about. Uh, but you and know, most other years, to be honest. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, but you know, I had somewhat high hopes. Like I've been seeing the reviews this has been getting; they've been yeah, really, really good. good. Um, but I don't know. This this just kind of and the problem really is just that the mystery. I mean, this is a mystery film, like you said. It's a Sherlock Holmes story. It's you know there are an old Holmes books, just as there are Sherlock Holmes books, and um, I just didn't care about either of the mysteries that you mentioned yeah. here. Like that where her mother is doesn't even really seem like that big of a mystery. First of all, like it's just kind of like also not important. <laughs> yeah. Like it could have been resolved within like 45 minutes. I feel like, so they just kind of shoehorned in this other thing involving this, you know, guy who is supposed to be like the love interest, I guess. But they also make this whole point of like her being like, Oh, I, I, why would I ever want to marry? Like, why would I ever want to find a husband or whatever? Which I yeah. was like, at that point I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like we just saw the same thing in little women kind of, um, what you know let's, kind of everyone ends up with a man <laughs> yeah but but you know joe had her things about how sure. i don't think i shall ever marry you want me to quote the whole movie because i can but but um i'll edit it out go ahead yeah um okay interior inter interior scene um joe is standing in front of the door um no um but this movie like they they set that up right and then it's just like okay we're gonna introduce this guy i mean there's not like a you know smooch or anything at the end but like it's it's heavily hinted that there's like well there's a smooch on the hand at the end. yes well yes <laughs> a, a very seductive uh, very proper yeah yeah um but uh yeah but so i was like why like why are you that that just seemed really weird to me and then shoehorned in again so when you don't get invested in mystery of a mystery movie it's like it's it can only take you so far but i do no. think that millie bobby brown has a lot of star power this was my first time seeing her in anything uh, because I don't watch Stranger Things. I or didn't Godzilla. see the Godzilla sequel. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I, I, you know, I've never seen her in anything, but I, you know, I have heard good things about her, obviously, in that, you know, she's obviously been a, a huge, you know, revelation and breakthrough on Stranger Things. And I can see why after watching this. I think she has a ton of charisma. Um, I like that even though this is a period piece and she's walking around in, you know, stuffy garments and stuff that, there's there's like a looseness and playfulness about her um, performance that, you know, is isn't like maybe the stiff thing you would expect from a costume drama or whatever. So yeah. that's fun. It's it suits the tone of the movie. The score of this movie is weirdly a banger. Like, yeah, it's really good. It's 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 weird that it's weird in the sense of like you would expect this type of movie to have like a, a bang over score, but it's not weird when you hear that it was Daniel Pemberton who composed the score and is I think one of the most underrated out there. If you never heard the score for Steve Jobs, is also incredibly underrated, and the he's man done likes like working man, with Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, he's done. He did. Uh, did you do Molly's Game? Yeah, and yeah. Man from Uncle. Um, and he's going to be doing Trial of the Chicago Seven there, as you alluded to. And he had a Birds of Prey earlier this year as well. So. He's he done a lot did, of good work. He also did Into the Spider-Verse, which people will forget. Yes, yes. Um, he's done a lot of good work. And I don't know exactly what attracted him to this project. Um, Netflix but money. Yeah, he, he definitely, you know, uh, made something out of nothing. Because I, like, had the little central motif of, from his score, like, stuck in my head for, like, a day or so. It's It, it was it was good. Um, 
I got to see if it's on Spotify actually. But other sure than those, yeah. Other, yeah, I'm sure it is. But other than those couple of things, um, this just didn't really do it for me. Um, I'm not like a, the hugest Sherlock Holmes fan to begin with. Like I do like mystery stuff. And I thought, okay, this will be fun, like a coming-of-age female-led take on Sherlock Holmes. I mean, that's that might be like a sort of a way to somewhat get me interested in Sherlock Holmes um, in today's day and age. But I don't know. Like, I I would I would be okay if there was a sequel um, because I do think that they are pr- probably interested in setting up a sequel here with the same character. Um, but yes. some things are going to need to change in the sequel. First of all, um, you know, a more interesting mystery, obviously. And second of all, getting rid of Sherlock and Mycroft, in my opinion, because they added nothing to this film. But we can talk about that in a few minutes. Yeah. Good news, Scott. Uh, It is on Spotify. Just looked it up for you. There you go. Yeah. Look, I think you said it perfectly. This is going to be one. I think one of those episodes where we're really going to parrot each other a lot, which I know we have gotten. uh, I don't know if that's a critique or a comment in the past that we have very similar perspective on things. Oh, we have the only the only good thing about the good things about this film are Millie Bobby Brown and the score. There really isn't much else that's good about it. I think that doesn't mean the rest of it is bad. There are some parts of it that are bad, but the rest of it is just like, whatever. Like, honestly, the rest of it is just whatever. I think that uh, I remember a film similar to this in terms of how I felt about it back in 2018 was the the, the Grinch movie, the animated Grinch movie. When I, <laughs> I went and saw this film, Scott, and I walked out of it and said, wow, there was literally nothing about this film that was good or bad. It was just all was what it was. Now, um, the only critic out there who is comparing the Grinch to Enola Holmes, so just really outside the box thinking here from yeah. someone like Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Look, <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll put this on the banner head for comparisons yeah. that we make on film reviews. But yeah, I, I think that Millie Bobby Brown is awesome. Like I, th- like no no jokes have this. May, th- this film made me want to go watch Stranger Things, which I've also I've wanted to watch Stranger Things for a while, but I feel very intimidated by there being three seasons of it already. And we were just talking before we started recording. That uh, a seven episode miniseries is too much for me at this point. Um, so we'll we'll see if I get around to watching Stranger Things. But she's awesome. Like she's really great in this film. Uh, I think she could do she can do whatever she wants. And this film is an example of her doing whatever she wants because she like read these like spinoff stories about Enola Holmes when she was like I don't know like seven or eight years old and like I want to play this character and she went up there and made it. She produced this movie with Netflix. Um, she's she's sixteen years old, just like Saoirse Ronan and Little Women. That's yeah, exactly she, what she did. <laughs> but she wasn't sixteen years old uh, like Millie Bobby Brown was without without any sort of like meaningful nom- like Oscar nominations under her belt, mm-hmm. unlike Saoirse Ronan. But granted, this film is not the scale of Little Women with people yes. like Greta Gerwig or anything like that. So it's not. I don't mean to. I don't think that you're really meaning to compare it too much. No. To that. no. Um, but yeah, no, like she's great, and I want to see her do more things. Maybe I'll go watch those two Godzilla movies. Probably not, but she clearly has a really good relationship with Legendary, who made who who made this film, uh, and then Netflix distributed it. And she's the kind of person who has enough star power, at least on the TV side of the business, to be able to get into bed with these streamers, right? And and to make the movies she wants to make. And I think that's really cool. Uh, and the score is great. Other than that, Scott, I think you're dead on. Like the two mysteries in this film, they barely even feel like mysteries. I'm not in, like I'm not even engaged with them at all. Like, is there even a resolution to I? I mean, like, yes, there's a re- resolution to like the other mystery, but they're wrong. Like, they think they know who it is. And there's it, something it, weird about it too that I want to talk about when we like yeah. talk spoilers or whatever. But there is something sure. weird about the way that the the thing with Lord Tewksbury. By the way, I found it hilarious that she called him Tewksbury the entire movie. But yeah, Tukey. I was hoping for Tukey, but it never happened. <laughs> no, that's a picture for the Braves. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I I just think that the mysteries were just total duds. Um. I didn't have, I mean, Sam, 
I have I don't like Sam Claflin that much, but he's not a good. He's he not a good. He needs to hire a new agent, like for yeah. real. Like he he his last few movies. Have Dude, he's been... he's collecting that Netflix money though, man. He's got he had yeah. Love Wedding repeated earlier this year, I guess, but he he's not good in this role. Uh, I like Henry Cavill. I don't necessarily like him as Sherlock Holmes, but I also think that's not Henry Cavill's fault. I think that's just like stupid casting uh, on Netflix's part or Legendary's fault. Whoever made whoever did the casting this film, terrible job, honestly, really bad job. Uh, I understand why you're getting someone like Henry Cavill, but like, like I even think Robert Downey Jr. isn't like that great of a Sherlock Holmes. Frankly, I think he's better than than Henry Cavill by a long yeah, shot. Totally but agree. Benedict Cumberbatch is like a good Sherlock Holmes. If you want to ask someone how to, how to do Sherlock Holmes, like he's a good Basil Sherlock Rathbone. <laughs> sure, yeah, that, that works for me too. Um, I haven't seen that version, but anyway, I yeah, like it's just not good. Like it's just not like I don't want this like freaking. I don't want The Witcher playing Sherlock Holmes. Like what is that? Like what what, what are you guys doing? Superman is Sherlock Holmes. Just yeah, there you go. I was like, you have to be the only person who associates Henry Cavill first with The Witcher, but well, yeah. you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised. Yeah, maybe um, that that's like one of the most popular TV shows like ever on Netflix. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I don't disagree. Like Superman is obviously bigger than The Witcher. I'm not I'm not trying to say that, but I think a lot of people do associate him with that role now. And obviously, he's raking in the Netflix money too because he's obviously doing a lot of stuff with Netflix. But yeah, look, I think there's a few things to love and a lot of things that were, would need to change for a sequel. I'm like kind of down for a sequel, I guess. I don't know, but it's just going to have to be way more interesting, right? Like it's just, it just wasn't an interesting film. I was, I was pretty bored, honestly, uh, for most of the movie. And like, I don't know. It's just not, it's just not what I was looking for. Like, I, I guess I kind of liked the, the color palette of the film. It's not like, I don't know when you see Sherlock, it's usually like, just like, it, it feels like very gray kind of like washed out color of a film um, or, or TV show, whatever, whatever it might be. And that's usually, I mean, I think that usually works. It usually sets the tone pretty well. I liked that it was different. They just didn't do anything with it. And I think that's the story of this film overall is that uh, Millie Bobby Brown was good. Some of the performances were whatever. And who's, whoever it is that played, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, who played uh, Tewksbury. He's not, a, he's, not a good, he's not a good actor. Lewis Partridge. He looks like Charlie Plummer, the guy who's on uh, Looking for Alaska. But Yeah, Lewis Partridge is his name. Sorry, bud, but uh, not not your best performance. Mem not a member of the Partridge family, though. Not of that Partridge family, at least. <laughs> yeah, uh, not the Partridge in the pear tree you're looking for. So why don't we move on to the cast, Scott? We've praised Millie Bobby Brown a little bit here, but let's talk about her a little bit more. Like, is it a good performance? I think we both are in the yes column there. But overall, is this character of Enola, maybe, or at least her embodiment of it, is it something that you liked and would want more of? Sure. I mean, yeah, like when we're talking about we want one, we'd be interested in seeing a sequel or we wouldn't mind seeing a sequel. The only reason we're saying that is because of her. Like, let, let's be clear. I think she has created it a fun character here. Um, you know, a good spin on the traditional um, detective story. Uh, we don't really have that many like female led detective stories out there or anything. Not that there are that many like detective movies coming out anyway, but like, you know, you have... Yeah. A lot of Sherlock Holmes stuff. There's you're uh, used to getting those in TV series. This was like this feels like a British like if you want to watch a detective show, you go watch yeah. like a British BBC miniseries or something like that. Yeah, there's uh, there's obviously the Kenneth Branagh Agatha yeah. Christie movies which are coming out, um, which have a male detective lead. But anyway, like they they tried the Nancy Drew thing last year, but that movie just like was not um, did didn't get out there. Um, yeah, with like Sophia Lillis or whatever. Yeah. Um, just not was not marketed really at all. But um, but like I loved reading the Nancy Drew books as a kid and playing the computer games. I mean, those games were awesome. Um, and so I was drawn to that aspect of the story of like, oh, hey, maybe this can be like the Nancy Drew movie that um, that 
you know, I've, I've always wanted, like, you know, they had the one with Emma Roberts back in the day too, which is fine. But, um, but uh, I think that she is like, uh, I think Millie Bobby Brown is like the spirited heroine that I would want in any sort of female detective story, Nancy Drew or not. Um, and is very engaging. You know, there's these fourth wall breaks and stuff, which um, yeah, you're shaking your head. You, you probably didn't like them. I don't know that I love them either, but I think she sells them well enough because she is um, so charismatic and yeah, I don't know. She just has it right. Like, like I said, she has star power and it's one of those things like, you know it when you see it to quote chief justice Warren. But um, I, I think that um, maybe it wasn't Warren that said that anyway, that's not important. Um, but I, I think that she really carries this movie. Like she carries this movie on her back from beginning to end. Um, and that was what, you know, kept me going through the two hour runtime. I don't know why it was two hours, but it was, but yeah, I'm um, going to say that too. It's just, because it's, because it's Netflix and they just like do not cut their movies at all. But um, yeah. that's, that's becoming clear to me, but, um, but I, I think that, yeah, she, she's, she was the right person to lead this movie and you could see, right. That it was like, to your point, it was a passion project of, of sorts for her that she'd wanted to play this role. This doesn't seem like someone who was just like getting a paycheck for, you know, doing a, a Netflix movie that'll probably get some views. I mean, I think people are watching this from what I can see. Um, and so I, I, I don't have anything bad to say about her performance. I think she absolutely steer, keeps this on the tracks, keeps it from being a train wreck. Yeah, uh, I agree that it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> it definitely could have been a lot worse. She has, I mean, she has like what star power, charisma, talent in spades, like however, however you want to describe it, she's got it. And it's just unfortunate to in my opinion, dilute that with like just weird, weird decisions like breaking the fourth wall and all this voiceover narration, which is a thousand percent unnecessary uh, in, in this movie. And I just don't know why people want to do this. I like just genuinely don't know why people think this is like a good storytelling tactic when it is a visual medium. <laughs> I just don't know why people think that you need to talk and explain the story to people. I just don't yeah. understand. Well, look, uh, I mean, it's worth mentioning that the director has done a little bit of a couple of Fleabag episodes and I, from, yeah. I haven't seen Fleabag either, but from what I understand, there is fourth wall breaking all of the time. And obviously Fleabag did very, I mean, you know, cleaned well, it's up awards. Season. It's final season. Today. Yes. Cleaned up awards, very well reviewed. Um, and so, you know, I mean, and, and like in thinking of this as like a British project, thinking of Fleabag as being a British project, like maybe they're you're just trying to sort of, you know, mirror what is the hot British property of this time, which is possibly Fleabag. And so they bring in, you know, the director of the movie or I mean, the director of a couple episodes of the show, one of the, one of the directors. And, you know, they try to mimic this stylistic thing thinking hey this will remind people of fleabag and maybe this will get in like a little bit of an older audience because the, i mean i'm i mean i'm probably stretching a little bit but just yeah. that might have been the thought process i'm not saying it works but yeah i mean look he did all of the second season of fleabag i think so you you might very well be right maybe it's his style uh, i haven't seen fleabag either he did do a few episodes of killing eve as well which that doesn't have that style and is a little bit different and most recently, he did an episode of Rami, like I was mentioning. I, I don't know the style of that show either, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it's weird. I guess maybe it's his thing. I, I, I was reading an article where Millie Bobby Brown also wanted to do Breaking the Fourth Wall. And I, I like don't trust their instincts on producing movies. Then it doesn't it doesn't work in this one. Uh, maybe it works in Fleabag. I mean, obviously, I, I shouldn't say obviously. 
clearly it worked for a lot of people with Fleabag because yeah. that movie did, like you said, that TV show did great. Maybe um, contrarily, like maybe it was more like of a decision to to get this targeted at kids, right? Because it has that sort of. It's PG thirteen. Like, I, well, that's the thing, and I wanted to make that point that I feel like it's weird. Like, it's yeah. I'm not exactly sure who it's for because it's PG thirteen, right? And some of the stuff, like the the stuff about gender critiques and stuff, feels like it was it's like targeted at ten or eleven year olds, and yet the movie is PG thirteen. But uh, the breaking the fourth wall has sort of the like. I'm reading to you from a storybook. Like maybe they were read aloud from a storybook of Sherlock Holmes stories or Nola Holmes stories, like people kids were. And so maybe that a aspect of it is trying to draw in kids more. If I was to, you know, as a counterpoint to what I was saying previously, but again, not sure it works. But she sells. Look, it. I think that's right. I mean, I don't know if the I don't know if those stories break the fourth wall. I mean, because these are like real spinoff stories that were written, yeah. um, or at least it's an ad it's an adaptation of one or two of them. I think. And I don't know, like those are kids, like those are not for adults. Like those aren't, those novels are not geared towards adults. Uh, and so I don't know if maybe the books do that as well. It doesn't seem like it just because of the, the article that I was reading that Millie Bobby Brown really wanted to do this. But either way, I, it does have that feeling. And yet you're looking at, I'm looking at a PG-13 rating and I'm just like, I couldn't even tell you why this this was rated PG-13. Like, violence. For, I mean, that's the yeah. only reason why. Yeah. Well, that's just weird then because some of the violence just seems so out of place uh, in the film, frankly. Like, yeah. The, the action sequence with the guy in like the lime limehouse lane or whatever was cool but like was it necessary if you could have gotten this pg and get this in front of more kids eyes i don't know um never I mean, I, what happens at the end that. like was a little was kind of what was a little too like intense in my opinion i've already forgotten what happened at the end well i'm talking about people getting shot oh yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's true i forgot people yeah. getting shot at the end uh yes there are guns in this film it turns out um but yeah no that that's a fair point like look there is there is i guess some sort of like darker violent edge to this film i mean is millie bobby brown even old enough to watch this film on netflix i don't even know um <laughs> i'm kidding but yeah like it's it her performance to get back to like what we we're talking about her performance is good there were some weird decisions around how they were going to present the story that are channeled through her character which i don't particularly love that much but that is what it is scott moving on to the supporting cast i have a feeling that uh i know what you're going to say here but Anyone from the supporting cast stand out to you? There is, of course, Henry Cavill. There's Sam Claflin. There is Lewis Partridge. There's Fiona Shaw. Speaking of Killing Eve, uh, there's Fiona Shaw and Helena Bonham Carter. Does anyone in the supporting cast here stand out, or should we just move on? Is this thing on? No, not no one. No one's no one stands out. Um, yeah, this <laughs> the supporting cast was not very good in this movie, in my opinion. Fiona Shaw is like the. S such an archetypal villain in this oh like goodness, just yeah i mean when i talk about like the whole gender thing um that i mean it all comes from her character being like you know you women in this age you know you're supposed to marry you're supposed to blah blah i mean the same it, it's like the it's almost like the aunt she's the aunt march character of this i'm sorry i'm just gonna keep bringing it back to little women but she is um yeah, you're painting this the, you're painting this film in such a good light comparing I, so much to i know women. i i really am to even speak like her name in the same sentence as what meryl streep did there but uh but i mean fiona shaw is fine just not in this movie but um look like i will say this about fiona shaw just quickly off, off this point here she feels more at home in this role than she does in her role in Killing Eve. She feels out of place and like a like not in the right time period in Killing yeah. Eve. So it really fits in her wheelhouse. I feel like this this film. But the other people, right? Like Sam Claflin, Henry Cavill, Helena Bonham Carter. I genuinely don't know why they're in this movie because their characters are not important, right? Mycroft just like goes away after like the first forty five minutes of the movie, like. I don't know where he goes, but he just like he's not really a, a character really for the last half of the movie. Sherlock is basically just there for 
him to, to for them to be like, look, your 16 year old sister is a better detective than you. Uh, like that, that is kind of what his arc is in the movie. Like uh, that's how it ends up for him. And Henry Cavill, like he's like, this character could have been anybody, right? Like this performance is completely anonymous. Like it, I, I did not think that this was, I would not have thought that this was Sherlock Holmes, you know, unless they were saying it right. Like this, he just feels like he's playing Henry Cavill. He, he feels like he's doing, you know, Man from Uncle or Mission Impossible. Like this could have been in any of those movies, honestly, this kind of performance. Like there's there's nothing Sherlockian about it for me. Um, and so well, there's not honestly that much that's Sherlockian about this film. Well, yeah, because they don't like it's again, it's not even important really that Sherlock is in the movie. It's just kind of a we're going to bring him in because, you know, you know that he, you know him as a character, you know that she's the sister of Sherlock Holmes or whatever. Um, yeah. Mycroft is like, you know, again, set up as a villain, but Sam Claflin is very over the top and he has, you know, the mustache. He literally has the mustache to twirl, but um, I, I, I have just not, not, not been a fan of him from what I've seen recently. So, I mean, the, the partridge, kid he didn't like he, he didn't affect me really one way or the other um i don't i don't think i had maybe a negative as negative a reaction to him as you but i mean again it's this is all about millie bobby brown and i think the movie honestly i think they figured that out in the end like i, th I think they realized that that was their best asset and so if there was more sherlock and mycroft and whatever fiona shaw's name is and helena bonham carter right because she's in maybe eight minutes of the movie um you know, it, it, they they if there was more of them in the original cut of this movie, again, I'm not sure Netflix cuts their movies at all, but they they took it out to highlight Millie Bobby Brown, and in that regard, they made the right decision. But it does make me question why these characters were really in the film at all, other than to you know uh, offer some very on the nose commentary about how she is resisting, you know, the tendency for women at the time, like the she she is resisting what uh women were told they have to do and what roles they're supposed to fulfill at the time by being kind of a tomboy by trying to solve mysteries by you know want, not wanting a husband until she meets like tewksbury or whatever his name is um and so you couldn't remember his name is tewksbury yeah no i did he does it so many there times a, there's a relief <laughs> pitcher back in the day his name was bob tewksbury but um there you go but no uh, again I, I they don't offer him yeah, I don't know if we need to spend too much time because I feel pretty similarly. It's just, man, I, I don't know what anyone offers here. Fiona Shaw's character's name is Miss Harrison. If I had to pick someone who stands out a little bit, she stands out. She's very one-dimensional, but she at least gets to do something that is mildly entertaining and seems good. I don't know. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know why they... I mean, clearly, I mean, honestly, they paid a lot of money for Henry Cavill and Sam Claflin probably. I can't fathom why they did it. I mean, Henry honestly. Cavill, like the guy's in every franchise now. Like, I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, Man from Uncle isn't going to be a franchise, but they wanted it to be at the time, and so there was that. He plays the lead in that. There's Mission Impossible. He was in, obviously. There's Superman. Which spoiler alert, he won't he won't be back in the Mission Impossible franchise. He won't. Yeah, and he's may not be back as Superman. Well, I guess we have the Snyder cut, but. Um, who knows what's going on over there with that. But the, the point is like the guy maybe needs to like, just take a chill pill for a little bit, go do some neon films or something, because I think he's fine. Like he, he's a good, he's a, he's, he has a good screen presence. I like him in mission impossible man from uncle. Um, 
I think Man of Steel is horrendous, not necessarily because of him, but um, but I, I think he's fine. But it, yeah, there's no reason for him to be in this film. Well, I was looking at his film credits more recently, and he, he really hasn't done very much outside of these franchises. Yeah, exactly. He's in some movie called Night Hunter, which I've never even heard of. Um, it's a Canadian psychological thriller. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, like he, he's been busy doing things like The Witcher. I mean, that's taken up so much of his time. That's true. Yeah. Which I hear is quite good. I watched three episodes and was just totally confused out of my mind and quit watching the show. Yeah, um, nothing to do with him. Just terrible, terrible presentation of that TV show in the first three episodes, in my opinion. I didn't even realize this, but like apparently the like the parallel storylines happening in that show are like hundreds of years apart for the first three episodes. <laughs> I don't even they should have changed that. the color palettes around. Oh my god! It literally could not even could not even put that together in the first three episodes. I lost my mind when I found that out. Um, I was like, "What? Uh, something else that just can't do it like Little Women can." <laughs> you good? <laughs> you gonna watch the film again tonight after this? There's just so many similarities that keep coming up in our conversation. I'm sorry, I have to mention it. I'm I'm impressed that you've managed to find so many similarities, but um, I am too. I did not expect going into this. But. Yeah, look, the supporting cast it doesn't doesn't do it for me. Like, they can bring them back in the second movie, but if they do, I'd rather them just kill Mycroft. Like, honestly, <laughs> just go away if they bring. And Sherlock too. Let's let's be real. Let's like, have them shoot each other in a duel or something. Yeah. Hamilton duel. Let's do yeah. it. Um, yeah, I think that like I I'm not as negative on Henry Cavill's performance, but he's not Sherlock Holmes. I'll just put it that way. Uh, so it, it's it's weird. And, and the thing about the whole decision to like basically use him as like an example of like, oh, you're like younger si sister who's 16 years old is smarter than you is just hilarious to me because not once but twice in this film do they make it sound like Enola Holmes has solved a mystery. I have some news for you. She did not solve any yeah. mysteries in this film. And it just boggles my mind that at the police station. They have, they have like um, the the Lestrade characters Lestrade, like yeah. oh like second question how did your sister beat you like she beat him there but she didn't even solve the mystery yeah that's uh, true yeah she they they she was wrong I mean like she solved the mystery in that she like caught the crime like she caught the criminal I guess but like her her deduction was inaccurate to use one of your favorite uh, analogies it was the swaggy P shot of her walking oh, yeah. away and <laughs> clanking out behind her yeah. And then the second one is like the very last scene where this is a light spoiler, but she finally does get this like in, in person face to face meeting with her mom. And she's like, thank you so much for what you've been done for like the country and like the and passing passing this bill that is like a sub. OK, this is my problem. They don't explain <laughs> what the reform bill is like. It just came out of nowhere. They're talking suddenly talking about the reform bill. Yeah. And, and her mom is like. You've made me so proud. Like you did this. Like you did this for our country. And she didn't. <laughs> she did it because she like liked him. Yeah. Well, yeah. She she did. But at the same time, I don't know what they're saying. She even did that. She didn't do. But that because they don't explain what the reform bill is. And I was like, I even went and like googled an art some articles about what this was. And it was something about like expanding voting rights. But yeah, in the article they were like. Yeah, it, in the movie, they don't expand on what the reform bill is, which is probably a good thing. Blah, blah, I, I don't really know why they thought that. But but I thought when I started reading it, I was like, this is going to be about like giving women the vote or something. But apparently that didn't happen till like decades later. Like this paved the way for that to happen. The reform bill paved the way for that to happen. But this isn't the thing which gave women the vote. So yes, she didn't do it. And second of all, even if she had done it, I don't know what she would have done because I don't know what the bill is. And yeah. 
they don't yeah. try even try to explain to us what this it is. movie was trying to tell me that Anola Holmes did anything in this film. I'm not convinced that she did anything in this movie. She saved <laughs> England. What are you talking about? That's true. Wow, that's so disrespectful of me. What was I thinking? Raise um, the Union Jack. Yeah, exactly. So we've already started talking about the plot, which I've already now made fun of twice. But uh, look, so this this movie is set up in like an A plot and a B pl- and a B plot, basically to th- these two mysteries, which it literally tells you when it's switching from one mystery to the other, which I just found hilarious uh, in this movie. In this movie, but Scott, did either of them work for you? I, I think you pretty much already said the answer is no, but I'm giving you some time to expand on on how much they didn't work for you, if if uh, if you'd like to. If not, we can just move on. Yeah, I mean, again, they start out with like. This is going to be, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be about her trying to find her mom, whatever. Um, but then it is, it's like they realize, oh, crap, we can't get a whole movie out of this. So then they introduce this character of Tewksbury. And then, like, I was just confused because then she just starts, like, like she she meets him. Then there's, like, the whole chase scene or whatever. And then they get to London and they're like, okay, bye, see you later. And I was like, okay, great, that was the end of that then. And then she's going off trying to find her mom again. And then it's like, oh, now I have to go find Tewksbury again because he's I just realized that he's in danger, like as if you couldn't, you know, see that from the train or whatever. But there's no like this. The storylines aren't connected, really. That's the problem for me is that like they there's these two plots that they keep switching back and forth. of, But they don't like converge really in the end, except right for the scene you're talking about with like the mother or whatever talking about what she did or didn't do. But, um, but the point is like, there are no similarities between, I mean, like her mom being missing and what is going on with Tewksbury, like aren't connected, aren't connected in any way. It isn't like uh, what we were talking about with devil all the time last time, right. Where like the serial killer story and Tom Holland, like they, they come together at the end of the movie. That didn't really happen with these two mysteries. Um, and I kind of wish that it had, um, so really, whichever one they were focusing on, I was kind of just like, sure, like why not? And they're they're just well, not they kind of make fun like, of it at one get... point. She's like, I don't know what phase of my plan I'm on anymore. But then they didn't like lean into her making fun of herself very much. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but then he gets shot at the end. Like that, can we talk but about? Doesn't that? Get that shot. Doesn't get shot. Doesn't get shot. Well, he end. doesn't. Yeah, but you think he does? Does for a second, and that that was the part where I was like, why? Because she's like weeping over his body and she's like, Tewksbury. <laughs> I was like, that's not even his name. That's a, like a, a a place, isn't it? Or I mean, it's his, no, it's no, his, no, no, that, that's his, his name. name. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's his last name. But it just sounded yeah. so weird. Like, because it sounds like a place, first of all. And also, it probably not, it probably is a place. Yeah, it's not his first name either. Um, we don't even know what his first and name is. No, we don't. We, he's the Lord of Tewksbury and something else. But no, he, he's, um, Lord, he's Lord Tewksbury of basel right. something yeah, yeah. I don't know. um something it, no it sounded really awkward every single time that it was said but um but yeah i don't like that was that was the pg-13 right there to me was that scene of like the grandmother shooting him um and so i i found that weird um even if you know they did like oh he's fine because he was wearing plate but yeah um but yeah, like I, I, it, it just didn't do anything for me in the end. I didn't care about the connection between these two characters because, like I said, like I didn't want that. I could tell they were going to have a romance, and I didn't want them to have a romance because I feel like that's they couldn't not decide whether they wanted them to have a romance too. They like be. right had a romance, but they didn't have a romance. I'm just like, there's a way why? to do this. If you it's to if not you, do it, <laughs> if, you know, if you want to have a story where 
your your hero is hero, heroine is a strong feminist who oh says you don't have to get married, but then possibly does get married at the end. There is a way to do it. This is not it. Another movie is it. I'm not going to say any more than that. But what film are you talking about? <laughs> um, Jane Eyre. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, probably too. I don't know. Oh yeah, totally. Very strong feminists in that one. <laughs> Yeah, only the strongest females yeah. in that film. Uh, yeah, so th that's that. I think that there's like a couple more frustrating uh, aspects of the film, which like we, I don't even know if it's worth getting into. We've talked about the on the nose political subtext of the movie, which was sounds like it was geared. You said it would sound like you, it sounded like to you that it was geared toward ten year olds, but was it? I don't know. You want to expand any more on the on the nose? Uh, feminist angle of this movie, which I don't think anyone will disagree with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to keep bringing up Little Women, but it is like the same type of thing, right? Like, it is the same idea that, oh, hey, women are supposed to be an ornament to society, to quote what Amy says, Little Women. But, um, but they just come out and they just come out and say it in this movie, um, and yeah. they don't, you know, build up to it or. I mean, they don't do the things that Little Woman does, obviously, um, in, in order to yes. make this work. Um, and and you know what? That's that's honestly that's fine if you're just going to make this movie for kids, right? If you're going to make it for kids, I get it. Like, yeah, you got to be more heavy-handed so that they understand like this time period. They may not have seen anything said in this time period. They may not know what gender norms and stuff were like at this time period. So if you're going to do that, then fine. But I just feel like. This movie was obviously targeted at a lot of people, uh, at a wide, a wide, wide range of audience. Like, like that's one of, one of the reasons I think Henry Cavill is in this too, right? Is to get older audiences, um, because you know people people know him. People inexplicably, people do like Man of Steel and what he did with Superman, um, and you know some of his other work too. Um, but and some of his other work, yes, yeah. But so, so the problem is, it just it's just like. In these parts, I'm like, why am I watching this movie for children at that at this point? Like this this movie is not for me. But then they're like, there's a like Indiana Jones style train chase sequence, and I'm like, oh, okay, now this is actually kind of cool. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Like there's these moments where it feels like it has the maturity, like it has the maturity level in terms of its themes of being something that is it's trying to be approachable from all ages, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then it's very strange to, like you say, see this chase scene, see these, you know, this fight scene between uh, Enola and this. I don't even know if we know that guy's name, whoever the bad henchman was. Yeah, um, there. Who, who plays the same role in every movie. But um, yeah. and then but, the end, but, and then the finale scene. It's it's strange. It's a strange mix of yeah. things. And I, I just want to say, like, it, it, with Sherlock Holmes in general, I think one of my problems is like, I don't. I don't think you should try to do this like action detective hybrid thing. Like, I think if yeah. you're going to do it like. Because obviously that's what Guy Ritchie did as well. And those movies did not work for me either. But um, like they're detective stories. Like if you're going to adapt the book, like I'm sorry, but they're kind of stuffy detective stories. Yes, I understand that like Sherlock Holmes was a boxer or whatever. And that is an aspect of the stories. But like that doesn't mean we have to have the freaking slow-mo like prize fight sequences like we have in the Guy Ritchie films. And But those are more entertaining than anything that happened in this film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's fair, but I just think like um, it just doesn't mesh well. Like you can't give the mystery the fleshing out that it needs when you have to have you know some set pieces every 
25 minutes or so like they did in this movie but yeah i, I mean look like Sher- sherlock the series like the bbc series which is basically just three movies every se- every season is like a thousand times better than either yeah the guy there's no, there are no shootouts in that from what i know yeah, there might be like one in one, yeah. but it's like it's not like this. It's not like like what you're yeah, saying like here. Benedict Cumberbatch is not like a jacked, you know, like superhero version of Sherlock Holmes, basically like Henry Cow. Exactly, or, that's what I'm saying. Like he he's or Bob Downey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Iron Man. Um, <laughs> yeah, because he was Iron like Man, Superman or Iron so, Man. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically, right? Uh, yeah, no, he's look, I. I really, really disliked, uh, ironically, the portrayal of Enola Holmes uh, in Sherlock's the final season, the final episode of the final season. I did not. I, I literally one of the worst, one of the worst ways I could have been to that series, to be honest. But ninety um, percent. And uh, honestly, if you're interested in, in any Sherlock content, just go watch that. Yeah, I mean, I again, I'm not the biggest Sherlock Holmes fan, so like, I never super got into Sherlock. But I watched enough episodes to recognize like, okay, this is like the most authentic Sherlock Holmes thing that we've had in a long time. So if you like Sherlock Holmes, that is the thing to go watch. And yeah. maybe you'll get a few, you know, laughs out of this because of Millie Bobby Brown. But if you want like an authentic Sherlock Holmes story, if you're like a, you know, diehard devotee of the books, I think Sherlock is the way to go. Yeah. I mean, they, they modernize it, um, which I think is the creative part about it. Um, Stephen Moffat and, Oh, who's the guy who plays Mycroft in that series? Mark Gaddis, is that your Yes, name? Mark Gaddis, yes. Mark yeah. Gaddis. They they are they creatively modernize some of the stories and turn them in, into films. Yeah. Does Stephen Fry play Mycroft in Sherlock? Or did I just imagine that? No, no, it's um it's it's Martin Gaddis. It's Mark Gaddis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Mark Gaddis plays it and he's much better than Sam Claflin. And I will say that it is entertaining and Martin Freeman is really good as Watson. Anyway. Moving on from that, I think the last point before we do wrap things up here is just to talk about the relationships between the family members, right? I think that's like the one thing we really haven't really scratched the surface too much on. I mean, there's lots of relationships to think about within this family. The brothers with the mother, the brothers with Enola, Enola with with the mother, Scott. Did any of these relationships or the exploration of these relationships from a coming-of-age perspective, because we've talked a lot about how ineffective the mystery is, but does the coming-of-age angle on this film work at all? I mean, the mother aspects it was working for me to a point like again i think the payoff of it is just so it just kind of fizzles out in the, in that last scene with yeah, what, what her and helena bottom carter yeah but like i like the way that they were setting it up as like you know she was this sort of trailblazing woman as well and um maybe that her sons were and specifically mycroft were not happy with that fact and yeah. You know, did, did she abandon me? Did she leave me alone in this world? Is there a reason she's doing what she's doing? I think those are f- fine things to be asking in a coming of age movie. But I just didn't like the way that they were answered ultimately. And then Scott, with, you just have to understand that, that the reason she left wasn't because she didn't love her. Yeah, I'd love to know what the real reason was, though. Um, but you? the and then with the brothers, like, I don't know, it just felt very trite to me, like that Mycroft is, you know, he's the villain like he's the typical male of the time like you need to find a husband or whatever yeah and he's social climb and he's trying to climb the government structure basically and then sherlock is a little more like the begrudging like oh i you know like that you're adventurous or whatever but also i think you should find a husband too like he's not totally innocent in the whole thing either um 
So, you know, until, you know, he, I guess he comes around in the end, whatever. But the point is, they didn't make any of these characters work for me. So the best parts to me were honestly when it was just her on screen. So, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I don't think I have much to add other than to say mostly none of these relationships worked. I think that they should scrap it if they do a second one. But I doubt that they will because Henry Cavill will get you eyes. And I don't think Sam Claflin will, but Helena Bottom Carter is a big name. So I you look, do think there will be a sequel? I, I do, yeah. I mean, I think enough people will watch it. They'll make it. I'm sure that they already have all these people signed for multiple films because I mean, this is like a seven book series or whatever um, to pull from. I don't know how long these books are. Like, I don't know if they're like short stories, basically, like the Sherlock Holmes books are um, or they are longer novels, but I think that they will do a sequel. And if they're smart, they will actually really zero in on this mother daughter relationship and make it interesting. Coming in 2022 to Nola Holmes. Sound clip that one out for posterity. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Cricket, the crickets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that may be if they call it that, then maybe I'll watch it. Cause I would yeah, love to hear. <laughs> I would love to see what other jokes they come up with to rival to Nola Holmes. Yeah. Um, but maybe I'll send this to Netflix too and make us give them a suggestion. Who knows? Who knows? All right, Scott, let's wrap things up. What was your favorite scene or moment from Enola Holmes? Uh, I mean, I like the train chase sequence with Burn Gorman. I thought that that was, you know, pretty, pretty exciting and, you know, pulling him in off the train. Maybe I just like train scenes. Like I think there, there are a lot of good action scenes in movies that take place on trains. I mean, you look, do like murder. Grant Express. Yeah. My, like my favorite action movie of all time is Speed and like the end of that movie is on a train. So, um, but yeah, so, so I thought, I thought that that was, even though I thought it was, it shouldn't probably be in a Sherlock Holmes movie. I thought as an individual scene, it was, it was well done and, um, you know, reasonably exciting, even though I didn't like care that much about Tewksbury. Uh, and then, yeah, we have Burn Gorman, of course, doing what he always does and being like a weird looking henchman. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, I, it's the only time in the movie that I laughed is when uh, Lestrade dunks, dunks on Sherlock at the end of the movie, telling him that his sister got to him first uh, to, to give him that. And I laughed sometimes because it was funny that Lestrade was dunking on him. And second, because it was funny that he was saying that she solved the crime because she didn't really solve the crime. And, I, and then that continued on to the final scene as well. when uh, apparently Enola, Enola did something in the film that I didn't realize that she had done. And uh, there you go. That was funny. But ironically. You're just trying to, you know, downplay the role of women in the rise of England. You found me out. Yep. <laughs> cool. Canceled. Sweet. I don't have to do this podcast anymore. All right, let's put this around. <laughs> Scott, what are you giving this out of 10? 5.5. Uh, I know we've had a oh, lot of wow. fun here. But uh, again, Millie Bobby Brown gets it across the finish line. Um, and so four and a half of the points are for her. And the other point is for Daniel Pemberton. Fair enough. Uh, 4.3 for me. I'm a little surprised you went 5.5, but fair enough. Millie Bobby Brown's great in the film. I'm always higher than you on on the scores, not like our mental state. But <laughs> uh, Let's run the tape back on uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Think about that as a meta commentary. Yeah, I was going to point that out. The per Whoever said that uh, we uh, parrot each other too much, they need to listen to that episode. <laughs> yeah, one episode out of 110. <laughs> That's not true. There's a couple there's a, others, but that, a, especially that one. Yeah. Yeah. I guess a lot of the movies that we've disagreed on, we haven't actually talked about on the podcast, but uh, I'm trying to think. Thankfully. I can't think 
<laughs> thankfully. Yeah, I feel like before I'm thinking of anything, it's like the biggest disagreement we ever had was like one or two points, like two points probably. I don't know. It's not even maybe. Well, y- yesterday might have been one, but that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that is definitely one. Did we do Under the Silver Lake on the podcast? Did, I think we did. Yeah, yeah that and another one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 4.3. The film is not good. It's okay for the most part. There you go. Yeah. All right. That should just about do it for our discussion of Enola Holmes. Let's take a short break. And when we return, we'll be following up on those Disney release calendar rumors we talked about last week, as well as discussing the final trailer for Aaron Sorkin's next film, The Trial of the Chicago 7. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, uh, we re- we talked about rumors last week, which <laughs> managed to be confirmed before we even released the episode, actually. But let's just go ahead and follow up on them because there's a few more details, a few more movies moving around. But we talked about last week how the rumor was that Black Widow would be vacating its November release date for some time later. It wasn't clear whether that would be December or next year. And Soul might be moving to Disney+. Plus. So to get the quick stuff out of the way first, Soul is still holding on to its like Thanksgiving release date right now. No news on whether that's going to be going to Disney Plus or if it will be ultimately moved out of that window, along with movies like No Time to Die and a couple others that are still sitting at Thanksgiving. I really doubt those will come out. But uh, the big, I think the big shockwave news was that not only was Black Widow being delayed, but it was being delayed till May 4th of next year. And so that is a big pushback. That is a full year, uh, basically, from when it originally was supposed to release. That also, of course, sent the you know the MCU release calendar ripple effect, where the Eternals, which was supposed to come out in February, is now coming out in December, and Shang Chi, which was supposed to come out uh, towards the beginning of I guess in the spring in that kind of May release window, is now actually leapfrogged the Eternals and is coming out in July. So the so the release order of those two movies has flipped, and uh, Shang Chi is coming out around like the July Fourth holiday ish, uh, some somewhere around there in July, and then the Eternals ultimately has been moved back to full year because originally it was coming out around Thanksgiving and now it's coming out Thanksgiving of next year ish. So we'll see if it moves any further, but for now that is the MCU uh, release window update. It hasn't really rippled. I don't think too much down the line later than that. I think they're basically just going to try to compress the calendar a little bit, bit to keep up because obviously every time they, they push their movies, a full release window, they're basically losing a movie of revenue, which for the MCU, it's a lot of money, but yeah, that, that's that. There's also some effects of the calendar as well with West Side Story being pushed back a full year from Christmas of this year to Christmas of next year. That is Steven Spielberg's remake of it, it was a musical. Yeah, it was originally a musical as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a musical it's starring Ansel Elgort. Honestly, Scott, they should just reshoot that whole movie without Ansel Elgort. I mean, he's not even a good actor and he's not going to give them uh, any good press. for that. Then, but then people will just be clamoring to release the Elgort cut for years. Uh, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Disney can worry, or Disney Plus can release the Elgort cut. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Look, like I don't even know why you want to be anywhere near Elgort right now with the ten foot pole. I agree. Like I didn't. Well, yeah. I don't. I don't like him as an actor. I don't like him as a person. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. Like, obviously, these are all just allegations. We don't know what actually happened, but I my my tendency is to believe when people come out with these stories about famous people taking advantage of their of the power dynamic that they own in society and 
uh, exploiting no, that's never that. Happened before. Oh yeah. Sorry. I'll shut up now. We'll just move on to the next yeah. story. You're right. I'm canceled. What was I thinking about? Um, yeah, no. So, so that's been moved back as well. They have shuffled around the release dates a, a little bit more. Is Murder on the Orient or sorry, is Death on the Nile a Disney movie? I can't even remember if it actually it, sits under Disney. It, yeah, is, it was Fox, yeah. right? Yeah, it's Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's been pushed back to December as well into the Christmas release period. Uh, Scott, I'll be honest. I don't think any other movies are coming out this. I don't think any other black blockbuster films are coming out this year. I think they're all going to ultimately be pushed. But yeah. those are the big updates. There's like smaller release calendar windows. A movie called The Empty Man, which is a Fox movie as well. <laughs> they're burying this film like New Mutants. They're putting they actually moved the release date up two months towards like coming out in like in a couple weeks now as opposed to December. So that film's getting buried by Disney. There's still no release date for the French Dispatch, which is also Disney. Uh, who knows when that movie's gonna come out? I just think that like Wonder Woman can say it's gonna come out in December, No Time to Die can say it's gonna come out on Thanksgiving. I think all these movies are gonna move. Soul's gonna come out on Disney Plus, probably. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Um, at the same time, I would love to see somebody test the waters on one of these things, right? Because yeah. Tenet did it and didn't make much money. Well, but but that's the thing, and that this is the point I was gonna make is like, yeah, no, that was my attitude too. Then I was I was talking to some people that I do trivia with this week who are also, you know, movie big movie yeah. fans and stuff. And one of them brought up the fact was 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 very upset that all of these movies were getting moved and you know sure. from the, theatrical releases and was saying and you know someone else came back with well look at tenant it didn't do anything and he's like well maybe they should release something that people actually want to see maybe what this reveals is that people didn't actually want to see tenant that bad right like, i think people wanted to see tenant absolutely i mean look nolan's movies make money out the wazoo but maybe they didn't want to see it like as bad as we're going to go out and risk this, you know, as first movie back in the pandemic or wherever. Whereas I think like Black Widow, for example, that would have been an interesting test case because this is, you're talking about the next movie in the MCU following like, you know, this huge period. But, you're but talking a prequel. About, yes, but but still there's going to be stuff in it, you know, like there's going to be a post-credit scene probably. Florence Pugh might be taking the Black Widow mantle. We don't know, but... Probably. The point is, it's the continuation of this storyline, right? That every so many people are invested in, and you don't want to be the person who like misses out on it, and you know, accidentally finds out a spoiler online or something from somebody who saw it in theaters. And so, I feel like that would have been more of a test case. I'm not saying that it would have, you know, made six figure, you know, huge numbers or whatever. Six figures it would have, but uh, yeah, six figures. I, I hope, think it, the right I hope it makes six figures. Nine figures, maybe, is what I'm thinking, but um. But I think it probably would have made more than Tenet if it had come out. And I, I would have just been interested to see like what a franchise IP, I guess, is what I'm saying, would have done um, yeah. as opposed to, yes, of course, someone who has a very established track record with getting, um, you know, 300, 400, 500 million dollar, you know, returns on his movies, but also who, you know, makes original in this case is making an original film which maybe isn't the type of thing which people are going to be like, yeah, this is what I want to go out. I am willing to risk, you know, COVID, whatever, to go out and see it. At the same time, I think the counterpoint here is that, um, is that well, they didn't open in New York and L.A. And honestly, I think that's yeah. the real problem, right? Like, and, I, I think and that this film can't open in New York and L.A. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it pro ultimately it probably makes sense to move it. But I do think I did think that was an interesting point and something that I hadn't really thought about of, well, maybe Tenet wasn't like the sure thing that we thought it was. And maybe they should have tried a different movie like, you know, like um, 
like a Black Widow, like I said, or No Time to Die, right? Which maybe isn't going to be like massive in the US or anything, but those movies always just crush in the global market. So like that might have done something internationally if it was going to be released. Like the James Bond movies are huge worldwide. So look, 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 I mean, honestly, Interstellar, sorry, not Interstellar, Jesus, um, Tenet did crush internationally. You want to talk I mean, about Interstellar? <laughs> yeah, I know you do. Um, look, like, like Tenet just passed this past weekend, passed $250 million globally, which is like, Look, that's not what Chris Nolan films normally do, but that's good. Look, that that is good for the current for the current pandemic climate. Of course, only a small fraction of that is in the U.S. I think it's like forty million domestic at most. I think, right? I look, Chris Nolan movies. Dun- Dunkirk was a little bit lower performing, I think, because it was more of a war film and less. Uh, I mean, frankly, I think it's just less interesting to some people than some of like the creative original content that Nolan of- often comes up with. But like Nolan movies make in the 600 to 900 million dollar range on average. And that's about what MCU films make. They're obviously the most recent MCU films are big exceptions to that. But like, I don't know if Black Widow could reasonably expect to break a billion. Like, I'm sure Disney would hope that it would break a billion dollars, but it's not a guarantee that Black Widow is going to break a billion dollars. Captain Marvel did it last year. Spider-Man Far From Home did it last year. And of course, Avengers Endgame did it last year. All their films last year did it. But I don't think it's a it's a surefire guarantee that it would. Uh, And I don't think that MCU films typically overperform Chris Nolan by that much in, in the grand scheme of things. If you look at like the other, like the longer list of MCU films, but to your point here, I think that like, so, so I guess I would contend with that. I don't know if that's a quite accurate statement and to say that like people are interested in going to see tenant. I, I really do think that like families are the last people who'd be going to movie theaters right now. And families are what drive these, these movies up over a billion dollars. Yeah. And so like, like, yes, I suppose Black Widow. It would have been interesting if Black Widow re- like also came out this year or Wonder Woman 1984. I mean, look, th- that film could still come out this year. But like, I don't know, like your fam- like your four quadrant films, like the ones who are trying to get everyone into the theater, like th- like like who like what what four you know, four person family wants to take their full family to, to the movie theater and like risk getting covid like the, I feel like the people who I've seen go to theaters are like one or two person groups right and like little like little clusters throughout the theaters is what i'm seeing so i I don't think people want to go like the the families don't want to go out into the theaters from what that's anecdotally from my experience yeah i was gonna say you'd be surprised what it uh, probably i'm sure it's down down here like if you're watching any sec football games on um this weekend like the the protocol was not being followed in certain areas of the stadium, but, uh, but <laughs> sure, sure. But that, but yeah. that, I mean, that is a little bit different than the movie. Theater, it, no, right? it, it, it totally yeah. is. I mean, you're out, you're outdoors. It's, you know, theoretically. Well, well that, and like that, that is, yeah. that's in the water. Like going to see movies is not in the water. Yes. In, yeah. In SEC country. But the other thing, the, yeah, the other thing is that, you know, just again, to play devil's advocate, like maybe the word of mouth, like I, I think word of mouth probably hurt tenant a little bit. Right. Because like the, the main talking point, even for people who liked it coming out of this movie is, well, this movie is incredibly confusing. Um, and like, yes, it is like, it's, it's very dense. And so maybe people are like, I don't, if I'm going to go to the movie theater in the middle of this terribly stressful pandemic and all of that, I don't want to watch a movie where I'm going to have to be like, you know, this at the entire movie, listening to every single line of dialogue, but don't anyway, bother trying. You can't hear them all anyway. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, uh, on another point, Eternals is an interesting case. I, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm just kind of sad that this got moved for a while, but this one might be able to get the film bro audience next year because this is Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao, and yeah. she has legitimate like she could potentially win Oscar the Oscar this year um, because it's a little no, early, it's a little early, it, but yeah, it, it is. But Nomadland is getting like the best um, 
best picture buzz of any film that I've heard about so far this year. Yeah, so. out of one festival. But yes, I, 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 that is definitely true. Yeah, I mean, again, out of out of other other. Well, no, I mean, it's it's played at several festivals. It won the audience award for TIFF, I believe, and yeah, but, but, it had the Golden Lion. The only event. Oh, okay, yeah, it had the Golden Lion at Venice, but yeah, um, and those things are are usually good predictors. But yeah, Joker uh, but, yeah. and what what won what won TIFF last year? I mean, Ven- Joker won Venice. What won TIFF last year? That's a good question, but um, but I don't know. Maybe it was Joker too, but um, definitely wasn't Joker. But but I mean, you're right that it's a long Oscar season. It's a longer Oscar season than usual this year. Look, we so. don't even know the Academy Awards are going to happen. Like, if all these movies move out of theater, like, don't even come out in theaters this year. Like, are they, are you really going to have an Academy Awards? Yeah, I don't know for this year. I I mean, maybe, but I don't even know what the I point of it is at that point. It's like but, it's just going to be the Netflix Awards. Yeah, but the point is, Eternals is is growing in interest. I think with Chloe Zhao like now becoming kind of a known name. But like I'm I'm looking forward to Shang Chi too. That's uh Des- Des- yeah. Daniel Cretton who did Short Term Twelve. So um, these projects will be interesting to see when yeah. they come out. Um, Marvel doesn't go for the obvious picks, and that's why they win a lot of the time. Yeah, no, they're. I think they're starting to, with the success that Taika Waititi had. I think he's been sort of maybe the biggest factor in that with what he and the Russos people loving um, Thor Ragnarok. But yeah, but I mean, having someone who has more of a distinctive style in their filmmaking, I guess, is what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, that that is. Uh, have you it, seen the writer? Speaking of closure, I haven't. Seen I have it. not, but everyone says it's fantastic. So. That is what I hear too. Yeah. Look, it's interesting, right? It is a, definitely a bummer to see the Eternals. I mean, not only is it Chloe Zhao directing, but the cast is awesome, right? Like, it's a huge ensemble cast, mm-hmm. some really great characters, and it's going to be something very different than. I mean, I don't know if it's something very different than what we've seen before, but it's something very new, right? Like, it's going to be completely new characters, completely new everything in it. So it's definitely going to be interesting. But look, I'm I'm excited for when we get to see these films. I I I hear what you're coming from from the devil's advocate perspective. I think that that I just think that no one wants to go to the theater. Like no one feels comfortable going to the theaters right now on a, on a scale, which these films can make money in the U S uh, and a large part of that, I think is spot on, which we, I didn't really bring up when you were saying it here is that LA and New York aren't open. Um, like from what everything, what I hear about LA, people are like crazy down, down there, like with how blase maybe they're being with the whole quarantine thing. Um, so they probably do quite well if movie theaters open there, but not for good reason. But yeah, like it, I don't think I mean, look, no, no major blockbuster, I think, is going to be brave enough to open like Tenet did without New York and L.A. open. And L.A. is talking about going into another lockdown. So I don't think that it's realistic to expect that. And who knows what's going to happen as flu season approaches and how everything's going to interact. Like, I don't think anything, I don't think things are going to get better anytime soon. I think we've, we've kind of reached the zenith of things getting better um, and it's probably only going to get worse from here. But enough of that negativity talk, Scott. Let's yeah. segue out of that and talk about Trial of the Chicago 7 which uh, may be featured at the Netflix Awards in April of 2020 or 2021. Sorry. Um, so Scott, talk about the last trailer for this film that comes out in just a few weeks. Yeah. Um, so this is, as I've mentioned before, my most anticipated movie of the year um, written, directed by Aaron Sorkin. Um, and it's telling the story of the, uh, of a series of uh, protests that occurred at the 1968 democratic national convention, anti-Vietnam protests and uh, the the protesters were arrested and tried in a notorious like show trial, basically. And the movie is going to be primarily, from what I understand, is going to be primarily focusing on that that trial. And we got a look at that in the um, in the trailer, which I thought was interesting. 
Uh, I'm going to be interested to see just because I don't know anything about this story, story really. I'm going to be interested to see the trial scenes because it seems like the judge is very like biased or, you know, dismissive or something towards the defendants from what we get in the trailer. So that's interesting. But um, yeah, you know, solid cast in this thing. You talk about uh, Eddie Redmayne, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Mark Rylance, uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr., um, a few other names that I'm not thinking of. But um, but yeah, it's 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 a really strong cast. It has huge Oscar buzz. Um, And yeah, this trailer, I was wondering, like, is this going to be you know, a, a, a legitimate courtroom drama. And I think this trailer kind of like settled any doubts I had about that. Um, and also write the first reviews and reactions that are coming out because this is screened for a lot of critics at this point. And yeah, people are saying that, yes, this is, this is a, a courtroom drama. And um, obviously Sorkin does those very well. I mean, you know, a few good men is my favorite movie and social network to some extent is a courtroom drama. Um, I think his his style of writing dialogue is very well suited to a courtroom environment, um, to the theater of the courtroom. And so I think fireworks will fly. I think, you know, maybe um, trailers aren't always good at like conveying the Sorkin dialogue or like the flair that his dialogue can have. Um, but I think that, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, right? He That's somebody I forgot to mention in the cast, but he seems like he's going to be one of the major like maybe he's like the sort of the lead playing the leader of the protesters. Um but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. He like, is, yeah. 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 I, if there's any actor who has Oscar buzz for it, maybe it's him. But I think that uh, I was talking, we were talking about this off air, that it seems like this movie is going to have like the spotlight problem of like where every single actor or like like every review like highlights a different actor's performance. Because I, I really have seen like a lot of different people getting called out. Uh, Michael I've, I've seen Mark Rylance called out a lot. So I, I was actually thinking yeah. that he actually might have the most Oscar buzz. Maybe so. Michael Keaton, right? He's also been mentioned, I think, uh, in several reviews and talking about the spotlight problem. But um, he's familiar with that. I've seen his name come up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this this movie, I think, is a pretty solid. I wrote about this in our newsletter this week, I think, is a pretty solid uh, lock for a nomination for Best Picture and probably screenplay as well. Beyond that. I'm not sure where else it gets, but again, it's, it's a weekend year. If depending on what comes out, um, it, this could be, you know, a you know, a eight, nine nomination film potentially. Um, yeah. And, I mean, it could be costumes. It could be, I don't know about hairstyling and stuff like that, but I could definitely see costumes come in there too. Music. I mean, we don't know. Oh, Daniel Pemberton did the score for this thing. What if he gets nominated? Um, what if he gets nominated for Noah Holmes? I'm kidding. He won't be cause it's not a, it won't, it, it's not eligible, but yeah. Yeah. It was never going to be in theaters, but um <laughs> But yeah, um, so I mean, I couldn't be more excited about this film, obviously. Scott, any any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I'm excited about this film, but it's not because of this trailer. The trailer was whatever. I, we were talking about this off air before. Like, it, it's hard to capture what's magical about an Aaron Sorkin movie in a trailer. And I think that's the truth. It really is. So I'm not concerned that the trailer wasn't exciting for me. I'm very interested to see this ensemble of performances. I'm very excited to see Yaya Abdul-Mateen in the film, who's playing... Bobby Seale, the founder of the Black Panther Party. And then, yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen, Mark Rylance, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Michael Keaton, Frank Langella, Eddie Redmayne, Jeremy Strong. <laughs> I mean, the cast yeah. list. Frank Langella, I've seen his name mentioned, again, as a standout. He's the, and, and he's the judge, for people who don't know, who wouldn't yeah. recognize that name. He's the judge that Scott was talking about. That it seems a little bit biased, which, yeah, look, it, it, the cast looks amazing. The story is relevant for the current times, certainly. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what comes of it uh, it's a weird place for it because 
I mean, honestly, based on how we've seen the award season the last few years, if you're distributed on Netflix, the shine and the gloss of your film uh, gets knocked off a little bit because of the in, in the award season, right? Like it, truth is just like their movies don't win big awards usually with, I, don't know, I guess, best supporting actress for for um, for Laura Dern last year it was like one of the first big awards that, that Netflix had won. And maybe they'll break through more this year. We'll see. Uh, it certainly would be the year that they could break through if the Oscars are held. Uh, but I think that this is the, I, I am not as tuned into the Oscar bloggers. Oh, if we want to call them that as you, but uh, based on the other films that are still to come out and we have a lot of time, right? Like the Academy season right now is supposed to run through February and all of the big releases um, are still to come, right? Like Nomad Land, we assume is going to come out this year. And so we'll be in the conversation obviously too, but like all these, all these film festival movies, are like big question marks like are they actually going to come out this year or are they just going to be held over to next year uh, we don't actually know i mean i mean a24 has their full slate for this year that they just haven't even released any of them except for first cow i guess um but overall it's like there are all these movies i mean even focus features too like promising young woman has still hasn't doesn't even have a release like, no one's talked about I when that movie's gonna come out movie, yeah yeah i mean that movie's got great buzz coming out of sundance and we haven't heard a word about it since it was delayed back in april and so it's just a big question mark, right? Like if nothing, if the only things that come out are the things we know they're going to come out, like I think that it probably will get a best picture nomination sight unseen. I haven't seen it yet, obviously, but the only thing that I'd honestly lock on Aaron Sorkin for, movie for at this point is, is the screenplay. Uh, that's what I'd expect. And I don't think that like, I, I hope that this film changes my mind. I don't think Aaron Sorkin is a good enough director to get his films nominated for best picture or best director, to be honest. I mean, look, we've only seen him try it one time. So I, yeah. I think, yeah, this, this, this could be, uh, you know, maybe he, maybe he figures it out a little bit, but, uh, um, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Look, look, cause I, I, I will say watching, rewatching social network recently has just made me a pre and look, you're right. End of one Molly's game is all we have on it. But like Aaron Sorkin's scripts are a plus and he just needs an a director to get him over the line on these but, things. And this, but, but like, you know, I, I don't think that you need an A director to get nominated for best picture, like That's green true. book, one best picture. And the director was not even nominated, right? Peter Farrelly directed that thing. So I, even if it's not the greatest directed film, I don't think that rules it out. I think for this year, like the fact that it has the recognizable name of Aaron Sorkin behind it is going to matter because a lot, there's, there may not be a lot of recognizable names necessarily in the Oscar field. I mean, like, Nomadland, which you mentioned, right? Like, yeah, it has Francis McDormand, right, as the star of it. But Chloe Zhao is not like a known product. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, this movie is probably a safe bet. But um, yeah. like not compared to something like Aaron Sorkin or Spike Lee, right, who had Defy Bloods, obviously, earlier yeah. this year. Um, I think people are, you know, Oscar voters might gravitate towards those names they recognize even more in a year like this when there may not be as many names that they recognize in, you know, the list of yeah, top candidates. Yeah, that that's very true. Look, it could be. I think that we're obviously a little bit biased, if that's the right word. Um, but like, just because of like who we follow, and Chloe Zhao is like a really hot name right now. I feel like Chloe Zhao is like direct, like, I'm, and I'm sorry, filmmaking status is higher than Aaron Sorkin's based on like the writer and the hype around Nomadland. Nothing to do with writing whatsoever. Like Aaron Sorkin, one of the best writers in my opinion, um, in in Hollywood, but her filmmaking right? everyone praises the writer nomadland is like absurdly everyone's like oh best picture winner right here um when it's so early in the season but 
look, like it'll be really interesting to see how things play out if we even have an Academy Awards at all. But 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 actually, you know, that probably spells that Nomadland isn't going to win it, right? Because yeah, you remember, like, like this happens every year where like a movie like that is like tabbed as well. This is going to win it. I mean, it happened with Boyhood um, back when that came out. It happened like. I feel like the Irishman was kind of like that last year or, or marriage story. Honestly, I feel like both of those had like genuine best picture hype when they came out. Um, I'm not sure if I could point to like, this was the one last year, but, um, but um, two years ago we had, um, why am I blanking on what uh, a star is born, right? When that came out, people were like, yeah, this is best picture right here. And then yeah. it, came, it just came out too early, right? It just faded. I agree. So we'll see. We'll see what I happens. think Charlie seven has that problem. It's coming out too early. Well, yeah, and I was thinking that 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 might be true. I was thinking more about Nomadland, yeah. um, but but also Nomadland has only done festivals, right? Yeah, I was gonna say right? Nomadland hasn't, hasn't come out. Come out, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, look, I and I think also, frankly, Netflix is not is not betting on Trials of Chicago Seven as much because if it was, it wouldn't be coming out before Mank, and that's the one I've heard so, the yeah. best things about. So, do you think Defy Blood on by that logic? Do you think Defy Bloods has no chance? Basically, no, I think it does because it's Spike Lee and all the. I don't know. You know what I'm saying, though. I don't know that, that I know what you're saying, because I think I think like, the politics of that film is a lot more engaging to Oscar voters, probably than Trial of the Chicago 7. Well, Trial of the Chicago 7 might have a lot of political relevance to your point, too. We don't know. I think that. it does, but I don't think the Five Bloods has political. Well, I mean, it has it definitely has political relevance. Don't get me wrong. You mean that. because of the new requirement? Well, I mean, they're not in place yet, but like they'll be. Thinking. No, that's not that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm oh. thinking like. Spike Lee making films about like black experiences, having this like really interesting take on like a Trump supporter who's black, who has all these things, having these conversations, having this like emotional journey over the course of the movie. It's like an epic film, things like that. Like it's it, and it's Spike Lee. Like, honestly, it's Spike Lee, which is weird because he's not usually well respected by the Academy, to be honest. I mean, he so, never won an Oscar until two years ago. But yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Well, I think uh, the the moral of this conversation is we will understand better when we actually watch the trial of the Chicago Seven. Maybe <laughs> no, 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 Scott. Well, we understand it perfectly fine now. Yeah. We don't need to watch the movies to under, be able to talk about them. So, um, well, then we're just like the members of the Academy because I don't think exactly that, that. We have to think we have to have the conversations this way because this is this is like method acting for the yeah. Academy, right? Uh, yeah. No, I, I look. It, it's going to be really interesting to see. I think that ultimately it's too early to tell. Like, let's let's have this conversation in January or February for an April ceremony. And then we can maybe start to having like some semblance of a conversation uh, about it because we just don't even because here's the thing. We have just no idea what movies are coming out right now that are going to qualify. Right. That Like that is something that's just so unique about this year. We just don't know what's going to what's going to come out. But yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited to see Trial of Chicago 7. I'm excited to see Netflix's award lineup of films that are going to be trotted out over the next month or two or whatever. And uh, I hope that they're good. And I hope that we get a lot more of the much hyped movies like Minari. And what is it? What what was the film? Uh, Minari was an A24, right? So, yeah, I'm talking about all those Sundance films that were so hyped, like yeah. Minari. And uh, I'm blanking right now on one. That's like a, that's like a purgatory film. Ah, doesn't matter. I've lost yeah. it. Well, the Nest was a Sundance film. Promising Young Woman was a Sundance film. Yeah, like, Promising Young Woman. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know specifically the one you're thinking of. But I don't think we're going to see anything from A24 this year. I honestly don't. So if you're if we're waiting on Min- Minari or well, Zola. On the, on the Rocks or, is coming out in a, a couple The Green Knight. Is that A24? 
A24 produced Apple TV Plus distributed. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I I mean, in terms of like the initial slate of like, you know, Minari and After Yang and Zola. After and Yang is one of the other ones that I was thinking the, of. The yeah. Green Knight. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're going to see any of those movies. Yeah. I mean, never really. Sometimes always came out and kind of got, I think, buried just so early. Um, it's kind of. I didn't realize that was A24. It's not. I'm just talking about Sundance. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to find the movie that I was taught that I was thinking of in the Sundance list, but it's not happening. So I'm just going to segue on here. Oh, what Wendy? No one's thinking about that movie anymore. Did that movie even come out? The Ben Zeitlin movie? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that came out. It did? Well, didn't do well, did it? No. Um, It didn't get good reviews. Yeah. Didn't people just say it was the exact same as... Uh, as Beast of the Southern Wild, yeah. As Beast of the Southern Wild, yeah. Nine Days. That's the movie I was thinking of. It's... uh. Edson Oda is the director and screenwriter and it's Zazie Beetz, Winston Duke, Benedict Wong, Bill Skarsgård. It's about uh, in a house and distant from, from distant from the reality. We know a reclusive man interviews, prospective candidates, personifications of human souls for the privilege that he once had to be born. And it, pl- it played at Sundance. Yeah, it was a big Sundance film. I, I mentioned it as like one of my um, honorable yeah. recommendations in our exi- on our hype list for yeah uh, 2020 may that may that list rest in peace yeah seriously hey look my number one is coming out and where was rebecca was on my list too it was like number three right that that's coming well, out that's hey, my number one came out i can't complain that's true it did yeah all right scott let's uh let's put the nail on this episode's coffin where can people find you on twitter at starby dent awesome i can be found at shelton 2013 over on twitter where you can also follow our podcast at at media plug pods, but we'd prefer it if you subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the episode notes and checked out our podcast, Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash media plug pods, where you can check out the different reward tiers and support the podcast. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon though, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple podcasts on Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcast, where we'd appreciate it if you did all of the subscribe rate review things that you do for podcasts. And that should do it we really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies and we will be back next week with a brand new episode where we will finally be reviewing chris nolan's latest film tenet until then for scott harvey i'm scott shelton we'll see you next time we live in a twilight world no friends at dusk